Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gateway, brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business, where your future is without boundaries and our approach is too. I'm joined, as always, with my incredible co-host, Dr. Biagio Palese. Biagio, welcome. Ciao a tutti. Welcome. Welcome to this episode. Thanks for being here. Now, today's episode, what's real here and out there? I'm just personally over the moon to have Arwen Hubbard, an ecologist and space science educator with us today. Arwen holds undergraduate degrees in resource management and agricultural ecology and a master's of science in planetary sciences where she focused on bioregenerative Oh, I'm going to try that one again. Bioregenerative life support systems for Martian exploration and colonization. Now, currently, Arwen does not reside on Mars, but she does live in the desert southwest on an off-grid homestead, helping private landowners restore their ecosystems. And if any of you hearing this episode, uh, after you're done, you you want to learn more, know that Arwen also teaches astronomy, astrophysics, and planetary sciences online to all different ages. So I'm sure when we're done here, we'll, we'll take some moments so that she can kind of uh, plug all of those different ways, but I'm sure she'd be happy to have some some more listeners and more, more students uh, kind of participate in what she's teaching. So um, Arwen, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm really excited. So thanks Good. for having Good. me on. Too. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So I want to start again, kind of like we always do at the beginning. What what brought you to to space, to science? How'd you get here? Yeah, well, I mean, to start with, I've always been fascinated by space. Um, I grew up somewhere with very, very dark skies and would just hang out and look at the stars. There was a little bit of, of that in my family because my grandfather had been an engineer during the Apollo era, and there was just a lot of excitement around that. Um, And of course, grew up on Star Trek and and all of that (laughs) good stuff too. So I actually went into ecology when I went to school because I was really, you know, I was starting to pick up on the the challenges that our world is, is facing right now and the way that we relate with ecosystems. And I went into resource management, specifically range ecology and management, and then into agricultural ecology and started working with land restoration and looking at the way that humans relate with our environment. And that's something I've always been interested in is the the systems and the main way that we interact with the rest of the world. Now we're still part of the world, but is really with our land management and agriculture. Right. We can talk about all these other things that we do, but looking at how we grow our food, how we produce our resources, that's that's where it's really at. Um, and then I became interested in I already was interested in space, but I I really was interested in the bigger picture. Right. So I first started with range and went, OK, but range is just one way that we relate with systems. Let's talk about the whole thing. So I wanted to look at ecosystems and then said, wait a second, Earth is just part of an even larger system. Mm. Earth, when we, we like to talk about like, oh, space and nature is two different things. Like, no, mm-hmm. like Earth is just part of the eco, uh, part of the solar system, which is part of the galactic system. And there's this bigger picture going on. So I was really interested in the planetary sciences from that systems thinking perspective. And a lot of people go into planetary science from geology, from physics, but I was coming in from the biology side. And then um, I'm absolutely fascinated with space exploration and humans spreading, right? I think that's just amazing and interesting. But coming from the ecology background, I went, wait a second, we're not gonna be able to do this from a purely chemical and mechanical perspective because we're part, we come from this really complex system. We're just even starting to learn about how connected our bodies are with everybody else, right? You think about how many cells in our own body are actually human cells versus bacterial cells, other microbes, the, what we breathe, what we eat, 
our health, all of these are connected with a larger system. And if we're going to go somewhere else, we can't just go alone. We need to take those systems with us and kind of expand what we think of as being a human. And so that's where with my thesis going and looking at, okay, if, if we're going to live on Mars, we need to bring, we need all the things that like oxygen and food and all of that, mm -hmm. but how do we do that in a way that is going to be most efficient and that we're not going to miss out on the stuff that we have here on earth that we just take for granted and don't even understand yet. So how do we bring that with us in a way that's actually going to work? Do you, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's absolutely amazing, right? When you start to look at that, because again, I, I was literally going to ask you like, what's your favorite ecosystem, right? <laughs> like, because again, I'm, I'm still looking at it in a very micro kind of point of view, even though I'm talking about something maybe like a, a, a rainforest or a desert or something that covers literally hundreds. But when, <laughs> when you shifted that and said, oh, well, it's part of a galactic ecosystem. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I'm thinking way too small. Uh, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, just for a moment, think about the, look around you at your environment, look at your hand, look at your body, look at, do you have a potted plant or can you look out the window and see something out, out there? Where do those elements come from? They're part of a larger cycle. We have to think about, you know, what's happening with the stars. How do they, how do we go from, you know, the belly of a star to being on a planet um, and then little piece that planet like is assembling itself into little pieces that like move around and think about themselves. Um, yeah. So there's this much larger cycle going on, which is just so much fun to think about. Yes, yes. It, yeah. it really starts to broaden your your perspective of at least um, like if I don't get the right parking spot, you know, my, my problems it's... become very trivial when you start <laughs> yeah. thinking about that. <laughs> now, well, so you, yeah. Go on. you mentioned you mentioned Mars and, and kind of going there, and that's really your your background, especially with ecology. It, it are you thinking or it are you thinking about how to basically bring agriculture to Mars at some point or or how to find the foundation of that system sure well you'd okay. have to right if if humans are going to live there and it be more than just you know a cool field trip right <laughs> then then you're going to have to bring earth has to come with us for that and mm. you know maybe that's going to be earth in bubbles but and ah. you know then getting into terraforming is a whole nother question i think you know eventually feasible I don't think we're anywhere near being able to do that at this point, okay. but, but if we were, you know, um, we, I think that we have to stop thinking about ourselves as little simple machines, right. And hmm. thinking about humans as being as ecosystems ourselves, and then part of larger ecosystems, because how are you, if you're going to go there, you have to eat, right? Yeah. How are you going to eat? You have to breathe. Okay, you have to have resources to make things with you have, I mean, we could just keep going on and think about everything that we interact with in our daily lives, that comes back to, we get it from our planet, it's part of the planet, and how do we get it from our planet, Mars, luckily, is almost a twin to Earth in so many ways, right, it's got all the, the, the elements that we need, it's got really close day night cycles seasonal cycles all those things like it's way easier to try and do it with mars than say try and do a space station or go to you know europa or titan or something like that that are actually very very different okay. mars is just like a cold little version of earth <laughs> yeah okay that's that's it's very interesting to me because I, when I think of Mars, I think of that as like a complete, another yeah. planet, like as a whole different one. But what you're kind of defining is it's, it's potentially doable compared to some of maybe some more challenging planets there. It's the most Earth-like environment that we know of that isn't Earth. Right? And you could say, oh, what about Venus? Well, Venus size and mass wise, yeah, is is like earth if you look at it you know from bulk composition and all of that but when you start thinking about the you know diurnal cycles the available what's actually available um all of those things 
Mars is the closest thing we know of. Right? And you might go, okay, what about the exoplanets that are also in their habitable zones? Yeah, well, Venus and Mars are also in our habitable zone, but that doesn't mean that they're very, like, just because something is the size of Earth in the same place that Earth is in its system doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily be Earth-like. Or because, I, yeah. Go I, ahead. I personally, like, love uh, this type of conversation because many times, like, our view are so narrow that we just focus, you know, on our life or, you know, what we're going to be in 10 years. But likely there are people like Arwen that thinks about what is going to be the future of humanity, uh, you know, in... I don't know how many years we're talking about in 100 years or 200 years. I don't know. But uh, it also makes me think that like if there are people that are looking to uh, other possible planets that can host us, this means that um, you kind of envision us and Earth to kind of go in a de declining directory where like we can't stay here for forever, right? Well, yeah. So there's different levels to that. Um, a lot of people will throw the accusation around that those of us who are interested in making humans a multiplanetary species somehow don't like Earth. Like that, oh, we don't want to take care of Earth or, you know, let's give up on Earth. It's not about that. It's that eventually um, something, something could happen. And not just could, something will happen to this planet, whether it's eventually that the, the, um, Tectonic plates will shut down, that'll happen, right? That's pretty clear. The magnetic field will shut down, you know, another impact can happen. If we're far enough in the future, there's no way we'd still be humans at this point because it's billions of years in the future, but you know, the sun will expand. If we want our descendants to continue to live in whatever form, then we have to become multi-species. But also when we, if we're going to go somewhere else, if we're going to send somebody to Mars, we're going to have a civilization there. We have to really understand our own planet to be able to do that, right? We can't just, because what I was talking about, about us being, we're extensions of Earth, right? Mm -hmm. We're not on Earth. We're little pieces of Earth thinking about itself, um, just from like a, a physical perspective of what our bodies are. Um, so... I don't think that we're, at least many of us are, are trying to say, we don't like earth. It's kind of like when the teenager grows up and they want to move out of their parents' house, it's not because they don't want to be part of their family anymore, but it's like, we gotta, if I'm going to have my own life, I can't just be living with mom and dad. You know, I've got to, it got to expand. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, does that um, speak to what you were when? Yeah, 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 no, no, that makes sense. I know, I mean, I was also thinking, you know, about, you know, climate change, all these kind of things happening to her. So I, I also kind of envision, like, if we don't take care of Earth, uh, you know, first, as, as soon as possible. But it, it comes from the scientists, but it also comes from politicians that has to, you know, take it, the topic seriously. Uh, then, then we kind of are forced to go on Mars, for example, not because we are billionaire and we want to take a, you know a new type of vacation mm -hmm. there but because we we have the need to right? yeah so that's yeah. Uh, yeah well and, and we absolutely have to if to start thinking about how we're managing our planet because every choice we make yeah. is influencing our planet um and i mean whether we would have to go to Mars or not, Mars would still be a more difficult environment to survive in than a, you know, severely cha climate change Earth. It would still, mm. Earth still has some stuff going for it that Mars doesn't, but we'd be more likely to be able to survive in these constructed systems. Some of us, you're not gonna get the population that we have to be able to survive in these constructed environments. Um, and so I, d I definitely think that we absolutely need to be taking care of our planet, but it isn't a, it's not an either or, yeah. right? Yeah. A, a lot of our understanding about Earth's climate comes from comparative planetology. Our understanding of how the greenhouse effect works, much of that comes from having studied Venus and realized, yeah. oh, wait, this could happen on a planet-wide level. You know, how do we compare between these? So I think we need to be doing both. Right. We need to be studying out there and in here and just seeing that that they're not really separate issues. They're just different ways of approaching the same issue. So then from from we 
both from an ecological perspective, from a planet perspective, but then as a as a human perspective that that a lot of our countries have been developed around capitalism and, and finite resources, whether it's money or gold or whatever. How do you then address some of those maybe more skeptical of going to Mars or climate change or whatever, saying this is a lot of money and you know what, there's people here we can help or so, like I, I've heard that kind of saying there, what's kind of one of those things that you would address to that one? Um, I mean, there's, there's so many different levels okay. to that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, people were saying that about the space program in the 60s and oh, it's a, it's a waste of money and yet you know, you can argue that it really fueled the environmental movement in the first place just to get that, mm. you know, Earthrise photo um, technology that we use today, like say, you know, talking about the homestead part, you know, I live completely off grid. I'm on photovoltaics, even though that wasn't developed specifically for the space program that was improved because of the space program, our understanding of how the world, of how our ecosystems, how the planet works, this is all everything is connected, right? That a lot of that came out of the space program and the return on investment is, is huge for that. So it, I still think it comes back to this really kind of simple, like too simplified of a, of a way of looking at like, oh, you can spend the money here or there. Whereas I think yeah. that you can be spending it in a lot of places. And then there's also things like, you know, if we're going to, I have, very mixed feelings about Musk. I like him in many, many ways and other ways I'm like, whoa, dude, we're on <laughs> totally, we live on different planets. Um, but- He's on Mars. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a very, very practical person, right? And, yeah. you know, um, it, but if we think of something like, okay, SpaceX, well, SpaceX, the money there, the, he's got that money because he has the mission to achieve in terms of things like Starlink and all of that, specifically mm -hmm. for this mission of let's take humans to Mars. If he didn't have that mission, then he wouldn't have, he might have money from PayPal and all that weird stuff, but the, the SpaceX money was built in order to do this. And if he then took that, like, okay, yeah. he could use that money once um, to help people. And I think that we absolutely should be doing that. And that's another that's another conversation mm -hmm. about you know what we can be doing, but but you, it's like again you've got to be doing all of it at once. Mm -hmm. It's like self improvement. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're trying to get into a better situation in your life, like you can be working on your diet, you can be working on your sleep, you can be working on all these things, and to say oh I'm not going to also work on my diet while I'm working on my sleep is like okay. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't um, it doesn't yeah. do the full extent. Mm. I think I think this this also goes like, for example, uh, you know, I'm I'm from information system. This is my discipline, and you know, of course, there are so many different sub area of information system. There are people that you know care about how uh, companies use information system efficiently to you know increase their revenue and stuff like that, but. Uh, going back to your point, and you're probably going to like these people more, there are some people that I think about a decade ago, they start looking at what is called green IS or green information system. So their objective is how to use information system to, for example, uh, be able to achieve some environmental objectives or how can you use green AT, so use information system, information technology to uh, reduce the environmental cost that the technology bought you know, brought to us, right? Because as you said, like we have different technology now, more people have access to cars, but that also has a cost on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's just not, neither or, it's just about uh, try to look at the different perspective and try to uh, do what is best mm -hmm. and what we need to do on a daily basis. Yeah. All right, Arlen, I wanna, I wanna kind of shift th to this stuff because I, I find, you mentioned that you're off the grid and you're living on photovoltaics and all that stuff, but we're, we're having this conversation, uh, you know, via the internet right now, using cameras, all of that stuff. Um, I think, and it's a complete ignorant part of me, like I'm just not educated in that one. I always kind of think making some 
ecological forward decisions or maybe, you know, green decisions means I'm not going to be able to have my coffee in the morning and I'm not going to be able to scroll through my favorite social media or things like that. How do we address that as a society and, and kind of see those things that we can shift and do both? Because you're, you're a prime example that we can do both. Yeah. Um, again, there's there's so much. This could be its own podcast series on its own. Yeah. Um, I mean, so to start with, I think that sometimes there's this like self-sacrificing martyrship like attitude that goes along yeah. with um, with trying to be environmentally conscious or things like, like that who's the with, most green yeah yeah and, yeah, it, and yeah, a lot yeah, of it yeah. ends up being like all this virtue signaling um i mean part of the decision that i made is is purely economic right <laughs> where could i afford to buy land um well <laughs> where i can there's no power for like the closest power lines 10 miles so wow. you know how am i going to get power um i still want the power um but there's some of it is also just coming down to thinking about you know what's what do we value what are the mm. things being just being really thoughtful about what are the things that matter most to me where am i going to put my my resources um and um and again just this kind of letting go sometimes of some of the busyness at least that's for me I don't think that that's necessarily for everybody but mm -hmm. but not being so tied into things helps me feel a little bit more sane yeah. um despite <laughs> teaching online and as you mentioned before doing things like TikTok and all of that like I actually am a little bit of a digital minimalist like I have times that I'm allowed to be on the screen and, and times that I'm not because for me, because if I, if I am on all the time, I go a little bit crazy and I don't, it, I just get all worked up and, and I just need a little bit of time away from that. Um, yeah. but it's, but that's on a personal level. And I, I heard in your question more about us on a societal level. Um, I don't think that it needs to be, we set up this, like take care of the earth or take care of human culture. And I don't think it needs yeah. to be an either or, um, mm. I think that we can try to start coming up with systems that that are coming more from an abundance perspective and less of the these this like limited um now that doesn't help certain people at the top but it would help you know the rest of of all of us um mm -hmm. but that we can live in a way that's that's working with natural systems and still have a bunch of stuff still have enough food, still have, you know, time to be with our kids, still have <laughs> our video games, our, you know, communication yeah. devices. Um, we just have to be really careful about what the narrative being told is and whether we're buying that narrative or not. Yeah. Wow. Well, if it's... we think about it, like, you know, people, I mean, civilization before us live without without a lot of stuff that now we have and we take for granted and we we think we cannot live without right but then it's really as you said it's like okay in what is in the long run that you value and how can we use the resources just for what we really need rather mm -hmm. than you know just you know i'm gonna buy it's a new a new iphone i'm gonna just buy it just because right not because i need it but just because you know it, it's it's the new iphone mm -hmm. okay and my grandmother didn't have a phone and doesn't have a phone yet so right. <laughs> she still lives uh, pretty well so i i guess yeah well, she's and just... and a lot of us i know things have been changing very fast um but i didn't grow up that long ago like the phones that we have right now are, are like science yeah, fiction yeah. <laughs> yeah. i do i mean yeah computers know. yeah yeah and and think about did you have you know a smartphone 10 years ago right yeah, no. or it wasn't um, nothing anything like yeah what we not have what now. we have now yeah maybe you know maybe you had a screen you could do a little texting and like you could yeah. kind of get on the internet um and there's some great things about them there's some things that i think we, we need to work out i think it's doing a lot of you know we're, we're working out the balancing the health with that because i think there's a lot of yeah. of mental health and physical health problems with the screen but like you're saying 
human, I mean, we've done, as long as we've been human up until this now, right? Us, we're the first ones to have all of this. And we have a million and a half years or so of being human and and all of that before we were human too. We did just fine without it, but I like it. So I want to figure out how we can do both because this is awesome. I mean, isn't this amazing? We're looking at each other's faces. We're talking to each other, recording this, and then it's going out to all of you listeners, wherever you are with, you know, probably Bluetooth headphones in your ears. No why, like, I mean, it's all just incredible. Yeah, yeah, you you have to kind of be amazed by it. And and that's at least where I come from when when I do try and make some of those better environmental decisions. I'm like, but I really like some of this stuff. Like this stuff is really cool. And I don't want to slow that down. And, and I do think we, we've kind of positioned it as it's either this or this. And, and I think, like you said, it, it, it's in between there. Um, but as, as we were talking about planet jumping, like going to another mm-hmm. place, um, not that it keeps me up at night very often, but I definitely wonder about like, other civilizations if 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 we ever get to a point well the fact that we went to the moon i think it is proof that travel is is at least within a realm of possibility mm-hmm. and when we get into the astronomical numbers of stars and and basically opportunities when we're looking at things like the the drake equation and stuff mm-hmm. like that I, I, as, as someone who is far more educated in that one, do you do you think that there are other forms of life form out there, or or is that something that you're like that's still a little too science fictiony? Do I think so? Absolutely. I, I mean, I would yeah. be absolutely shocked. I would be shocked if there isn't life on most of the bodies in our solar system. Frankly, we barely oh, even okay. begun to look at them. Um, at the micro have, level, is that yeah, kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Or, okay, um, okay. Well, and maybe with the IWOWs, the internal water ocean worlds, I'd be, I think it's quite likely that there's more complex life than that. Um, Got it. But let's start by saying we do not have the evidence to say that there is, other than just yeah. the numbers, right? We found many environments that are very Earth-like. We found that the ingredients for our kind of life is all over the place, right? It's on comets it's all is everywhere practically um but we've also frankly barely looked for life anywhere we've done a very very poor job of actually trying to find that life right so thinking about mars if life's on mars right now it's very unlikely that it's on the surface where we are because Mm. there's it's a very if it's earth-like life it's very low pressure extremely cold and a high radiation environment if there's life there it's probably underneath the ground or it's in the ice, it's in all these other environments, but we haven't actually looked there. Or places, other places like Europa, um, Enceladus, which could have could have very Earth-like environments, we've never gone underneath the ice. Now that makes sense why we haven't. It's extremely expensive. We've barely had space travel for, I mean, since our parents or grandparents' generation. Um, now, if, if there was more political will, I think we could have really explored the system by now. But in terms of there being other civilizations, I mean, the the universe is huge, right? Just think about in our system, we think that there's about 250 billion stars, most of which have planets. And we can see hundreds of billions of other galaxies from earth. And that's just talking about the observable universe. We assume that there's more beyond that. We're in, I mean, just numbers that are too big for humans to even think about. Um, And the likelihood that there wouldn't be other civilizations out there is just, is is tiny. But space is really, really big. And we haven't seen anybody close to us using radio. That's going to be the easiest way for us to see them. But maybe we're weird. Maybe everybody else is using something else that, and we're using radio and like EM, like electromagnetism. You know, maybe the rest of them, they're like, oh yeah, we're all like dark matter things and like whatever that, who knows, right? Um, There's also, you know, the possibility that we're one of the first civilizations. If the universe really is only 14 billion years old, that's not very much time for for civilizations to evolve. Um, So 
who knows? I mean, we've we've sent out a few radio signals to some of the nearest um, Earth-like kind of planets, but not very many. Eventually, they'll by the time they get that signal, they'll have heard us because we've been sending out radio. Mm -hmm. um, I like to think about some civilization like listening to our news and getting all worked <laughs> up about like, oh no, and oh and you know, watching everything is you know in thousands of years from now being like and the nazis did what you know <laughs> that's a that's very uh that's comical to me to think that we're either like the overachieving civilization like we might be the first ones to figure this stuff out or we are rapidly behind and we have <laughs> not even figured anything out <laughs> yeah well, there are people doing some really, you know, interesting thought on, on you know, grabby civilizations and all of that. That's, um, which isn't my specific field. So I'm kind of aware of it, but it's mm -hmm. not like, you know, there's other people doing a lot more thought in that area than I am. It's just interesting to think about. But really, at the, at the end of the day, I, I can't imagine that Earth's the only place it happened. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, there's so much, there's so much life everywhere we look on, on earth from like up in the atmosphere to hydrothermal vents to frozen and the Antarctic. I mean, there's life just everywhere. It's, it's just, life's good at, at doing its thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, as, as we, I'm, I'm going to do a, a, an abrupt shift with this one, because when we start thinking about different galaxies and, and all of those stars, I, I always kind of reflect back on the 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 stars we're seeing in in the sky like they're that, that's they're old like mm -hmm. it, that's not a, a thing so then i start like contemplating again not that i stay up nights about this but uh, there have been some that i'm like are we like time traveling is, is that ever a thing like where does all of this stuff when it comes to the perspective of time it, it starts to warp with me really quickly and is that something that could be feasible i mean i it just blows my mind. I guess that's all I'm trying, and I don't really have a question. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I just want to mention. So you're saying when we look at SARS, um, you're talking about a seeing into the past because yeah, there's light to us seems instantaneous because it's it's just beyond it's so fast it's beyond what we can really process. But but we think that light actually obeys a cosmic speed limit. We could call it the speed of causality. Sometimes called the speed of light. Although I yeah. think that that's a little bit of a um, a tricky name because it implies that like it's something about light, but it really is just you know how quickly changes can propagate in in space time. Um, but there but there is a speed limit, right? And that means that the light that comes from say Proxima Centauri is going to take us take about four and some years to get to us. So when we mm. look at really distant objects, we're looking at them as they were when that light was released. We're not seeing them as they are in proper time, like right now, and we won't see it. Well, none of us will, we'll be dead, but we won't, but our descendants won't see, say the light coming from Betelgeuse for 600 some years, right? Um, and then we can see galaxies, which are unbelievably distant. We're seeing them in those early stages. So it's like looking, I mean, we really are literally looking back in time. Yeah. Um, the, the second part of that is the question about time travel and there's, mm -hmm. it, that can mean so many different things. Yeah. Um, so time travel in terms of experiencing time differently, that's something that is, is with general relativity, pretty well understood. This isn't yeah. like we can get in a machine or like the TARDIS or something and just like <laughs> teleport which is really what that is like teleport between you know time and space but but the way time is experienced um is going to be different depending on the gravitational environment that you're in so the um we're probably at different altitudes right um mm -hmm. how many feet above sea level are you Ooh. piaggio do you know that i literally there's more that. or less right yeah see hold on well i can tell you it's a lot less than me because i'm at seven thousand. yeah yeah right yeah right? exactly yeah. i'm at seven thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so you're closer to the the center of the earth um you're deeper in that we could imagine it that gravity well um time is actually running slightly slower for you than it is for me 
Yeah, we're 597 and, feet. Okay. Yeah, so big, big difference between us, right? But yeah, for us, yeah. it doesn't, I mean, that's less than the lag that we have between the video call that we don't even perceive. Um, but we know that's there by looking at mercury and there's a lot of, of evidence for that um, time dilation to be happening, but you could do that in more extreme gravity environments if you could get near a black hole without being crushed and destroyed for multiple reasons, right? <laughs> Your experience of time would be very different than the people outside or, you know, people have probably read about the twin paradox when you have the acceleration. And, and so there's time travel in that sense, but personally, I'm skeptical about the, oh, we can just hop in a machine and go back in time because yeah. I think it's all, I think it's all a bit more complex than, yeah, I mean, that than that you didn't have to deal with the like the spatial relationship to it can you travel only through time but not through space do you end up in the center of a star i mean there's all of that yeah. right wow okay all right um I, I feel well, <laughs> yeah, well my mind is completely blown and, and just sitting here I'm all, um, um I then want to I want to pivot to this one because as someone who I would say has spent significantly more time studying all of these opportunities within the space, uh, many of these leaders within space exploration and or at least thought um, are are prominently addressing the fact that this might all be a computer simulation. Is that something that you foresee as being a reasonable thing or is that still just kind of like hey it's a nice thought experiment and and we're we're, we're far away from that yeah well let's start by saying that's that's not my field um yeah, but course. i'm extremely skeptical about that because of just how complex everything is i mean just think yeah. about um how many atoms are there like yeah. not just in your body, but like in your fingertip, right? How much information would that be? And to be able to, to simulate that, it, to me just seems just not very feasible. Um, mm -hmm. Even if we're getting into quantum computing and all of that, like amazing cool stuff that's happening, but just the complexity of that. But also I, I have the question of just the like, why? right? Yeah. Like why oh, why would that point. be? Right. Um, but the idea I think is really interesting to people because it, it, because it comes down to this question of what's real and what's not real. Yeah. And we're very interested yeah. in that and sort of the, the value judgments we have around that. If it is a simulation, you know, we kind of say a simulation, like, oh, that's not real. It's not as valuable. Like, does this all matter? And I kind of wonder if that's a way of people trying to, to handle some of that dread around the climate crisis that we're going through and, you know, just sort of like, oh, well, if it's not real, it doesn't count. Yeah, but, you can disconnect from it a little bit. You can literally turn off the computer and be like, yeah. okay, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe you could find cheat codes or something, right? <laughs> right. Like, I don't know if any of you used to play Sims, but I'd play the Sims and then I'd just give them like a million dollars and I could build whatever oh, house I oh, wanted. And, you know, that, that Rosebud cheat, I think I yeah, still exactly. That's it. right. Rosebud. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then you could just do whatever you wanted and nothing really mattered. And yeah. then, then you'd get bored because it, there wasn't any challenge anymore but yeah 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 so, you're, you're, yeah, so I, you know i don't know but it just seems just the, the scale of how much it would take to even really be able to do a simulation of just the most simple basic things and then how would you get the rest of this yeah um, yeah um what, as we, what about what yeah, about teletransportation well transport like actual transportation like Star Trek version has that same problem of how do you how do you process that much information? Um, I'm trying to remember where it was that I saw this number, so I, this might not be right, but something like a thousand trillion trillion atoms in the human body on average, and then how much information do you need to be able to describe each one of those atoms? Right, wow. it's going to be a lot of information. Then and then be able to send, so store that information somewhere, then send that information somewhere and reconstruct. I mean, it's just, yeah. the, the scale of it is just boggling. Um, yeah. There's some interesting work being done on 
on teleportation with you know photons <laughs> but, but we're talking about like a single photon and we're in like yeah. it's a totally different scale um because i would like to be you know i work i take my break in italy and then come back you know yeah. <laughs> okay but the old question is would it still be you or are, are you killed yeah. and then yeah. <laughs> like and just a clone of you is created um right. Right. Yeah, it's better the metaverse in that sense is much more, much more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one actually oh. creeps me out a little bit. I'm a little like creeped out by the whole metaverse thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh no, there's a lot of I don't know about that, and I think oh, yeah. we're all like, okay, we'll just, we'll just see. Yeah, uh, Arwen, I, I want to ask if you had the opportunity to uh, is a two part question to like space exit go to mars like you know or I, mars and then the moon or, or is there one that you would say yes to and one you would say no to or like if you had that opportunity to go to those places would you would you like, take part in that like, like me physically? personally yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh um wow <laughs> well okay so i love earth i am super happy with like my little property here and like I watch my birds every morning that I see and, <laughs> and I have kids yeah. and a family um so it isn't really my personal dream to go live in one of these places could would I want to go be a tourist like absolutely <laughs> I would be like you know over the moon um to, to be able to visit <laughs> going to Mars takes a much longer time than going to the moon I would be more interested in going to Mars you know if we did have that teleportation um yeah. so I'm I'm interested in humans being a multiplanetary for the sake of our species and for the the mm. future of, and just the amazing spread and civilizations and culture and also from just loving us so deeply and loving everything else that we're connected to because every everything that you can really think of on earth that you value every song every poem every mm. person every child all of that all exists in this one little place and we've got all of our eggs in one basket so i i want there to be the opportunity that if something did happen we wouldn't lose everything that yeah. that humans value just period yeah. um but i also think the opportunity just the amazing opportunity for our future generations of just the incredible culture and civilizations and experiences that they'll create um yeah. i want there i want that opportunity for for us for humans um and for what we bring with us because i think that life is amazing and precious and even if there is a lot of life out there it's not us and i think yeah. that, that you know <laughs> i think that the euglena is amazing and i want there to be more I want there to be more Euglenas. Um, so, yeah. Very, as, as I've grown as a human, um, these conversations around space and, and science specifically, very quickly when you, when you get past the chemistry, the, the, the physics of it, it, it becomes very beautiful and artistic um, in, in a way that I think some people that maybe turn away from it automatically or very quickly uh, don't spend that time. And, and I, I'm very grateful for for the way that you kind of bring bring that in and, and very quickly say, hey, this is this is absolutely beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> I had a moment there. That was that was so cool. Um, <laughs> I know we're we're kind of getting close to the, to the end here, so I want to ask uh, two more questions at least. So first one, what do you think? Should I be like really worried about asteroids? Because like every six months, I'm watching some movie about an asteroid hitting here, and again, like you said, I'm I'm I really like Earth, <laughs> and yes. I like all these things. So like, is that something I need to be like really worried about, or is that just kind of like one of those things in, in the morning on a Sunday that I can think about and then kick yeah. out of my head? Yeah. Um, okay. So on a personal level, can we as individuals do anything about it? No. Right. We yeah. aren't going to be able to stop it, but it is one of the greatest threats to humanity, right? That How was not like... what I wanted to hear. Okay. But think about there's been multiple impacts um, throughout history. You know, one of the more recently 
recent one 66 million years ago, the, we're only just starting to uncover some of the, the types of changes that that could make. Um, mm -hmm. And we live within our time frame in a very stable time period within the solar system's development in terms of its how stable orbits are, but orbits do change over time. Right? We don't know that Earth's going to be in the same orbit in 2 billion years from now or something like that. But there's also mm. most of these um, near-Earth objects that come very close to Earth. We don't discover them until you know days before their nearest approach. So one of the really important jobs that, that our space agencies have is actually the planetary defense. It's really called that. Um, and mm. if we know about these objects, um, we could potentially do something about it, right? Mm -hmm. This is maybe not gonna be go send some miners up and blow it up, but there's actually like, there's, <laughs> you know, we really can. Um, in fact, the DART mission is happening right now with, which is an exploration of, you know, what could we do? Um, and if, if a large enough object hits earth, that's, it's lights out for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, you mm -hmm. know, you can, even if you weren't where it gets the object hits, we're looking at basically, you know, years of winter, the photosynthesis dies. I mean, our ancestors survived it once, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to again. So I think it's a, it's a really, really important thing that if we did nothing else with space programs, that we absolutely need to have that. Um, wow. Now, is it very likely to happen within our lifetime? No, but if it did, <laughs> it would be, yeah, it's, it's very unlikely to happen within our lifetime, but it could. And if it did, it yeah. would be terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and it's not like we're not going to learn and get all kinds of other benefits from the, from the process of learning about these objects and developing the technology to address them. Yeah. Yeah. That um, you, you, you said, "Hey, we 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 don't really catch them until they're a few days away." Oh, we don't. Yeah, um, at which point it's too late. Actually, frankly, yeah. we, we have to catch them when they're farther away, so that we can actually because we can't really change their orbit all that much. We can nudge their orbit, and another, yeah. you know, a little just a, you know, a little change really far away makes a big, yeah, big shift. It's gonna, yeah, but when it's real close. Uh, we're just gonna all sit and enjoy yeah dinner. maybe we do go blow it up because you know but that's one of the things we've got to really try and learn about and, and figure out okay you know what's the lots of little impacts versus a really big one versus you know what's what's going to happen yeah um so as as you've kind of made allusions towards uh different science fiction movies and things <laughs> like that throughout this whole time what what is what's a piece of, of i guess you could say fiction science fiction whatever whether it's movie book comic book what's something that you you still pull to and and, and enjoy um my absolute favorite science fiction would be the mars trilogy by kim stanley robinson Nice. So red Mars, green Mars, blue Mars, um, just fantastic. Um, you know, there, it, it was written a while ago, so there's definitely some updated science since, um, but he just does a brilliant job. Um, however, it is, he does reads, it is a slow read. He takes his time to carefully describe every single escarpment and, you know, he could tell he loves the, the, that detail. Um, and you know, all his characters are like super brilliant, super scientists, who you know all of that. But I think it's it's really a great a great piece, and it's been very influential within um, the science community and those of us who are really interested in Mars in particular. Perfect. That's always I always yeah. like to know that. <laughs> um, and then Arwen, where can people find you and, and and get involved with with all of the wonderful things you're doing? I know you teach classes. I know you have some different social stuff. So feel free to share that now. Um, yeah. So I I teach um, and I teach to all different ages. Um, I try to make this accessible to people who don't have heavy mathematical backgrounds. So if people are interested in getting involved, you don't have to ha basically have any math. I mean, I love the math. I think it's amazing. It's fantastic, but it is a, a, a barrier for many people and you don't need to have it to get the concepts. Um, so for adults, um, people can find me at arwinhubbard.com. 
So that's A-R-W-E-N-H-U-B-B-A-R-D. Um, and so I do asynchronous online classes where you know you watch the recording and you do that sort of thing. Um, for younger people, um, for under 18, I do a lot of, of teaching on a platform called OutSchool. So I teach um, the space sciences and I get into some of the ecology as well, like mycology and entomology and things like that, which is really fun for the younger learners. Um, I'm also on TikTok, which I just started recently and it's a little overwhelming, but it's very fun. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> kind of high, you know, trying to explain these ideas. All my videos are like three minutes because I talk for five minutes and then I try and figure out how can I possibly <laughs> edit it down to three. Um, but people can find me there, um, space uh, underscore STEM. So science, uh, technology, engineering and mathematics. Perfect. Yeah. Definitely check that out, Lizards. Uh, I, I every time whenever I'm on it, I, I'm like, oh, Arwen's talking about something. Let me change my whole <laughs> perspective in three minutes. So I, I, I've really enjoyed that. So thank you so much for for being a part of this. I I I, I really valued this conversation, and I have a feeling that I'm gonna like tag you in the future and be like, <laughs> okay, something new just happened. I need you. Please help me understand this. So, <laughs> Definitely, I okay. love that. Yeah. So, okay, perfect. Yeah. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you find uh, podcasts. So thank you all so much again for listening. Arwen, thank you so much for being here. And Biagio, as always. Thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Arwen. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Bye.